This is my This is my comeback story. This is Trey Lewis with Good Landing Recovery, and you're listening to The Comeback. Hey, Sherry. What's up, Trey? How are you? I'm doing great. It okay. is an honor to have you on The Comeback. We tell stories of inspiration. I know that you're familiar and that you've listened to this many times, but really about a God who loves us, who cares about us, who will reach into any situation and pull us out of the hell of active addiction and anything for that matter. I know that you have a powerful story. I know bits and pieces of it. Uh, You are on staff at Good Landing, have chosen to uh, come and to um, pour into the women here. And it really is remarkable. I know that you have um, other things that you could be doing with your life, um, that you're accomplished, that you're educated, and yet you choose to stay on the front line and invest in these women and to show them the love of Jesus and to live this, live it out daily. Um, but it always wasn't that way for you, and I know that you have a story, and I'd be honored if you would share it with us. Trey, I just want to thank you for the opportunity to um, let me share my story. And I just ask that God would, would use my story to glorify Him and just show people what He's able to do with someone's life, how He's able to transform someone, and how He can take us from the deepest, darkest pit and, um, and give us a future, um, give me a future when I had completely destroyed mine on my own. And... My problem with addiction, um, it really started after I got divorced. Before that, I partied a lot on the weekends. Me and my husband, we partied a lot. But I didn't start drinking every single day until I learned about his infidelity. And I was crushed. I uh, I was the last person to know. All my friends knew. And they were telling me, but I didn't believe them. I had a gut feeling that something was going on. But, you know, I was brought up that marriage is forever, that you trust what your husband tells you. And so, you know, when he gave me excuse after excuse, I believed him. And so it wasn't until he didn't want anything to do with me whatsoever um, that I really realized that, yes, he was being unfaithful. I knew that if if he didn't have a relationship with me, he was having a relationship somewhere. And I had friend after friend tell me about just how he was unfaithful, how he had slept with certain friends of mine. And I guess what crushed me the most was the fact that he was lying to me and the fact that he didn't want to be with me. I thought that there was something wrong with me. You know, why did he want to be with all these other women, but he didn't he didn't want to have anything to do with me. And um, so I thought, you know, I thought I was too fat. Again, I just thought that there was something wrong with me. And so I started drinking more. And then a friend turned me on to methamphetamines. And I thought I'd hit the jackpot because I found something that, uh, number one, I lost weight on. So I felt like I, I looked better that, um, you know, the things that I I thought was wrong with me, the reason I felt like my husband wasn't attracted to me was no longer an issue because I'd lost that weight. I I didn't seem to care so much about all the hurt, 
You know, it helped me cover up the pain. And so I was seeking comfort in that drug as opposed to seeking comfort in, um, in God. And even though I was brought up in church, my, my dad was a deacon and my mom was the organist, I didn't have a relationship with Jesus. Yeah. Um, I, I, I just want to just drill for a second. Talk to me about education, background, you know, the family you came from, and then, you know, what, what all was going on in, in this time? You know, a lot of times whenever you think about somebody on meth, you know, you're thinking, okay, you were, you know, raised in, you know, super low income trailer park. You know, that was, you know, that's what, 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 what was life like? Um, I came from a middle class family. My dad owned his own business and my mom worked for him doing the books. Um, we lived in a... Uh, a nice, well, I grew up in a, in a ranch house, but my parents eventually sold that and, and built a, a nice two-story home in a nice area of Powder Springs. I went to McEachern High School. I was a homecoming queen. Um, I was Miss McEachern. And uh, I then went to, I went to Georgia State and got a degree in microbiology. And as soon as I graduated, I actually, I graduated on a Friday and started working for a company that following Monday called Biolab. One of my professors that, um, at Georgia State actually called and got me the job. You know, that's the kind of relationship that I had, you know, with my professors. I was, I was a good student. I, um, you know, I thought I had a secure future, um, you know, just based on, based on the way that I was brought up and based on my, my college degree. And, you know, when things really started going south um, was when I started using the meth. And I, I lost my job. Any real drug use before that? I mean... No. No. I um, Now, I say no. I drank. Um, I smoked pot some in high school, but it wasn't anything that um, I couldn't stop doing at the time. I did it every now and then. Um, my drinking was on the weekends. It was a partying type thing, but it wasn't something that, that I needed when I got up in the morning. Yeah. Once I started using meth, that's when it became a real problem. I, um, I had my own house. I had a nice three-bedroom ranch that I completely lost. It was completely paid for, actually. I didn't even have a mortgage, and I ended up taking a first-time mortgage on my house to pay for my meth habit. Um, because, like I said, I ended up, um, I had a really good job at a company called Biolab. I, they, they actually moved their offices from Decatur to Lawrenceville, and they gave all the employees the option of taking a severance package. And I decided to take the severance package uh, because I was using at the time, and my performance was going downhill. I knew that already. And they had not given me my walking papers, so to speak, yet, but I felt like it was just a matter of time based on my performance. And um, just the, um, they, they could tell that something was going on with me at work. I would sit at my desk in my office and do a line of meth. And um, so I took the severance package, and at that point... It's when that money ran out is when I took out the first-time mortgage on my house and just continued to um, feed my habit. Uh, I started using it every single day. Um, 
then I started, um, I eventually started using a needle. When that happened, I lost everything. Not to mention, I lost all material possessions. I started to lose my mind. Um, I started just to act out. I started to get really violent. I, um, I started to think things were going on and happening that weren't really happening, but I couldn't tell the difference between um, what was real and what wasn't real, what was just going on in my head. And I never stayed sober long enough um, to be able to determine that either. And so I, I eventually started getting in trouble with the law, and it wasn't, it wasn't because I got caught with that in my possession, with meth or anything in my possession. It was because of the way I was acting out when I was on meth. It made me very violent. It, it, um, it made me very paranoid, and I reacted as if what was going on in my head was really going on when it, when it wasn't. And it, it made me extremely, extremely mean. And the first time that I really went to jail for a, for, for a violent charge, I was at my parents' house, and I was so high on meth that I, I, thought, that, um, I thought that demons were after me. And so I set their mattress on fire. That was my first arson charge. It was arson in the third degree. And um, you would think that that would be enough to make me stop using meth. And I had to go to rehabs in order to actually be able to bond out of jail. And I was just going through the motions. I knew that I was going to um, continue to use as soon as I got out. And I did. I went back to using meth. I didn't want to. Um, I didn't want to give up that lifestyle. So you knew that in jail. Mm-hmm. I knew that in jail. I knew that um, I was only going to rehab to to get out of jail, um, to get out as soon as I possibly could, to be able to use as soon as I got home, and that's exactly what I did. Um, and. I just continued to get just crazier and crazier. And the second time that I went to jail for a violent charge, it was for first-degree arson. And that was when I, I tried to set a police car on fire. I, I, um, there was this one police officer that it seemed like he was always the one that came out and arrested me. And so I had this elaborate story going on in my head that, he was out to get me, that it was some type of horrible conspiracy, and that, you know, if I just, if I did away with, I don't know, his police car with, um, I don't know, that I would be doing the community a favor, that uh, it, it was crazy. It was crazy thinking. Um, but that's just an example as to what meth will do and the craziness that, that, that goes on as a result of using that. And... Um, I, where I went to actually try to set the police car on fire was right across from the jail. It's where they kept all of the county vehicles. And they had underground gasoline storage tanks there where they fueled up the, the vehicles. And if I would have been successful in setting that car on fire, I would have blown the whole place up, including huh. myself. So it was... The way I see it, it was, it was a, a miracle from God that 
my lighter didn't work. Before I left to go do that, my lighter worked. Whenever I got out and tried to set that paper on fire that I had put in the gasoline tank, my lighter would not work. The wind was blowing so hard, I could not get my lighter to work. Um, so I finally gave up. I went back home. I get home, my lighter works just fine. So, you know, I, I firmly believe that that was divine intervention, keeping me from um, blowing myself up. Because that's that's exactly what would have happened. So you did not set the police car I on fire. I did not set the police car on fire, but yeah. it wasn't because of not trying. Right. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's interesting too. Just just as p- people listen to this, and, and my, my drug of choice was meth, and that's why I think some of this stuff is 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 somewhat funny. It's it's obviously very tragic. It's also um, you know humorous in, in the fact of of where our minds can take us in a meth induced psychosis and. You know, a lot of family members that listen, a lot of people that might be on the front end of their journey, because what's so interesting is, is that, you know, sometimes with, you know, a, a good night's sleep, the insanity will lift, you know, uh, other times, I mean, you, you can go on, I, I know for me, especially after my last relapse, like, like I lived under that for a year. I mean, you, you would, I mean, whether it's the helicopter that you think is after you or whatever it might be. And so, you know, I'm trying to give some insight into to, to, to family members that would be listening and just thinking, oh my gosh, like my loved one is gone. You know, they are done. They need to be in a straight jacket, you know, not realizing that, that a byproduct of meth addiction, you know, is paranoid schizophrenia at times and, you know, all these other, um, hallucinations that somebody might have. And, you know, I'm just glad that you're, you know, you're being transparent about that and to know that on the other side of it that, you know, you can live a life where there's not a there's not a hint of that. But anyway, just wanted to interject. Go ahead. Yeah, and it's funny that you mentioned that, Trey, because my parents, they thought that um they thought there was something wrong with me. They had me committed more than once. They had me 1013 because of just the way that I was acting. They they weren't sure exactly what was going on, but they knew that something wasn't right, of course. And I remember they um, they had me sent to the hospital to have my head scanned to see if I had a tumor mm-hmm. or there was something you know going on that was causing me to act in such a violent manner and act in such a crazy way because this was not this was not me. Yeah. You know, I was um, I was their little girl. That the homecoming queen, the homecoming queen that, mm. yeah, that that didn't act this way, yeah, that didn't try to blow up police cars, that didn't set mattresses on fire, um, that that didn't, um, that didn't take their their parents' car out. I read, I totaled two of my mother's cars, um, just in a, a meth induced, um, just. Uh, psychosis where I, I was just angry and I thought something was going on and I just I just grabbed their car and took off and, and one of the times it was in their front yard I totaled my mother's Cadillac in her front yard I hit a tree and it totaled it I didn't even make it out of the driveway wow. didn't even make it out of the driveway you're a legend <laughs> <laughs> um, it's it's embarrassing to um, to think about you know all the things that um that I did and um but I'm so grateful to have parents that never gave up on me mm. um I had praying parents 
And I know they spent um, many, many hours in prayer, praying for me and my salvation and praying that God would um, just transform me and um, that I would come to know him the way that they knew him. And I am so grateful for that. I know that that was a big reason that um, God showed up the way that he did in my life. And I know I've shared a lot about the things that I've done and um, just uh, my my horrible... Um, my horrible track record. Uh, but I want to share now a little bit about what God's done for me and what he's brought me out of. Um, but before, before I do that, I, I do want to mention that um, I finally did stop doing meth, but it was only to um, exchange that with heroin. And the only reason that I actually stopped doing the meth was because meth was making me so crazy and I was going to jail um, so often. And I, I, um, I didn't stop using for the right reasons. It was merely to, um, to substitute it with something else that maybe would not make me so crazy. And all this mess that I had made of my life in going, um, back and forth to jail, I've been to jail over 16 times and I always had a good attorney that could get me out of it. But there comes a point when there's nothing that attorney can do for you anymore. You've went before that same judge too many times. And that was, that was the case with me. And I ended up being sent to prison for, um, for trying to blow up the police car. So I, uh, I got probation at first, but when I violated that probation, they sent me to prison and I've said this before, that prison was my worst nightmare, but it was also my greatest blessing because it was there that I didn't have a choice but to sit down and um, just reflect over what I had done and the mess I had made out of my life. I, um, I spent a lot of time reading the Bible, and I don't think I had ever cracked open a Bible before I went to prison. And... Um, so I found that um, as I'm reading the Bible in prison that I am starting to doubt what I'm reading. I don't, um, you know, I'm wondering if, if these things really happened and um, if I can really count on, you know, this person they're talking about called Jesus, you know. It just seems so unreal to me. And so I, I got down on my knees in my, in my prison cell and um, I just prayed a really simple prayer to God. And I just I started off by saying, God, you know, I am so sorry for doubting you. I know that I am supposed to believe, but that I'm having a, a very difficult time just buying into what I'm reading. And um, I, don't, I don't want to, I don't want to be this way. I want to know for sure. I don't want to doubt. And I don't know why I'm doubting. I wasn't brought up to doubt. My parents... Um, brought me up to believe and to have faith in you, but I am having doubts with whether or not you're real, and I don't want to be in that spot where I'm wavering back and forth, but I need your help. I don't know why I'm like that, but but I am, and I need your help to get over this hump, and that was it, and um, I went to church that 
following Sunday in prison. And the lady that was ministering, she asked, I don't even remember what she what her message was about. I just remember that at the end she asked, did anyone want her to pray for them? And I went down with a long, with about 19 other women. And she just went down the line and placed her hand on her head and prayed for each and every one of us in, in tongues in her her um, private language with the Lord. And it was very appropriate because a lot of us had things that, you know, were going on in our lives that we didn't necessarily want to let everyone know that was around us. And so, um, you know, she, she, her praying in tongues was, um, was like she was, she knew exactly what was going on and exactly what we needed prayer for without having to open that up and share my business or everybody's business with Mm. everyone else in there. And I say that because some people get a little bit um, taken back with that, and it was the first time that I had ever experienced that, but it was such a beautiful thing. And um, what was even more beautiful was the grace that God showed me that day because when she got to me, not only did she place her hand on my head and she prayed in tongues, but she stopped when she was done and she looked me dead in the eye. And I'm the only person that she actually spoke to that day. She looked me dead in the eye and she said, he is real. You never have to doubt that. And then she went to the next person. And um, my life changed that day because I knew that I knew that I knew that he was real and that he had met me where I was at, that I had all this doubt that, you know, and I had just prayed that prayer maybe five days ago. Nobody knew that. The minister didn't know that. Only me and God knew that. And um, so the following week, I actually stood up and, um, you know, uh, gave my life to the Lord, you know, and and announced that in church. And But my struggle wasn't over after that. I, um, I still battled with... Um, with addiction, I I still wanted to. I still thought that maybe I could use every now and then, and that's why, in my opinion, it's so important for once you you do make that profession of faith that you get into a good church, um, you get a mentor, somebody that can can help you just through all all the mess that's that's still there that you need to deal with B- because. You know, I, I still had those thoughts. I still had those cravings. And I and I was still just learning about God and what He could do for me in, in my life. And so it was very easy for me to talk myself back into being able to use every now and then. Mm-hmm. And um, that's exactly what I did. I ended up uh, relapsing. And when I, I relapsed that time, um, I ended up, I went back to jail and this time I was in probation, on probation in another state as well, in the state of Florida. And due to my violation in Georgia, Florida violated me, and Florida ended up sending me to prison. So I'd just gotten out of prison in Georgia. I mess up again, um, and Florida sends me to prison. And I was, I was fortunate enough to get into this program in Florida called the JOY program, and um, there was amazing volunteers, and I just spent the whole entire time that I was in prison um, just focusing on God, um, taking classes, um, 
just trying to 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 walk it out and get my life back together. Um, I get out of prison from Florida, and I I relapse once again. And I thought I had it. Like I when I got out of prison from Florida, I thought I had it. I thought that I um, I was on fire for the Lord. I thought that I was going to. Um, you know, go out and, you know, be around my addict friends and transform their lives, tell them what Jesus had done for me, and it was going to make all the difference in the world. And instead, I got sucked back in, and I started using again. And um, it wasn't long before I was just as bad off as I was. Uh, Drill one more time. I'm mm-hmm. just going to interject. You know, that, that that's just such a strong word of somebody who's had a real authentic conversion encounter with the Lord, um, zeal without wisdom, you know, the, the, the best of intentions that doesn't always, um, you know, translate into impact that we want it to have. And you went with the best intentions. You love the Lord. You wanted to see them get well. In reality, it was a trap door that would take you back into it. I think a lot of people that hear this, you know, to make sure that, you know, we surround ourselves with a multitude of counselors. You know, you talk about getting into a good church um, and, and just saying, you know, yeah, I mean, you know, e- even now, you know, with me, you know, I think about there's there's still just places I just won't go. It's the enemy's territory. If the Lord says go in there, it's a divine appointment. I'm going to go into to a situation or minister to an old friend that, you know, there's some type of, you know, very toxic relationship there that I'd want to be led into that and not just go and then find myself, oh, man, I came here to talk about Jesus. But in reality, you know, we're telling old war stories and, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about getting drunk or whatever. So anyway, I just thought that I was just really glad you brought that up. Yes, and that's exactly what happened. Um, I just got sucked right back into it. And I started, I started using heroin. I started um, shooting up again. And, but, but the difference this time than the times before, I knew that, I knew that I didn't want to meet my maker, an addict. You know, I'd never had um, just the conviction in the past that, I'd, that I had this time. And I remember um, sitting in my parents' house and praying every day that God would help me without sending me back to prison that I, you know, I wasn't strong enough to stop on my own, but I was, I was just praying that he would help me without sending me back to prison. And about, it was about 24 hours before I went back to jail this last time, I got this clip in my head. It was, it was like you had inserted a negative or a photograph it was like nothing I had ever experienced before, and it was of Cobb County Jail, um, the, the, the pod that I was in the last time that I was in jail. And I was like, Lord, why, what does this mean? I, I knew it meant something, and I had this fear in my gut that I was going to be going there soon, and that that's what, that was like a, a warning to me that, that that's what was going to happen if... Um, if I wasn't careful, the very next day I got pulled over and I was sent back to Cobb County Jail. And they found Xanax in my car. I was on my way to actually get 
um, pills and never made it. And I was devastated. I thought, how could I have ended up here again? You know, um, I thought I had changed my life. I thought things were going to be different. How could I have ended up back in the same spot again? And um, so I just, I just leaned into the Lord, and I just um, I thanked Him that um, I was still alive, and, um, and I knew that He could bring me out of the mess that I had created for myself once again. And um, so this time around, I, um, I had the option of coming here to Good Landing or to another facility. Um, this was my third violation. So technically, I, I really shouldn't have been given that option to come to rehab. I should have been sent back to prison since I'd already been to prison twice. But um, it just shows you the, the, what God can do when, um, when you're, you're leaning into Him and, and you're seeking His will for your life because that's what I did when I was sitting there. Like, I was broken. I was torn, and, like, I was, I was so mad at myself for letting myself get back into that position. But at the same time, I was grateful that um, I knew that I had a, a Savior who would, who would not let me down, who would see me, the, see me through whatever was in my future, that um, I knew that I could handle whatever was brought my way with him by my side. And um, so I was just, I was praying every day um, that, that God would allow me the opportunity to go to rehab um, and not send me back to prison. And I, and I knew, I knew God heard that prayer. I knew I didn't know how, but I knew that he was going to work those things out for me because I've been praying that for so long. And um, when I went to court um, that morning, I didn't think I was going to get out that day. I'd been in jail for 60 days. My, um, my attorney said that, um, that the, uh, the county was going to want me to, to spend at least another 30 days in jail before I could even think about getting out and going to rehab, and that I would have yet another felony under my, you know, on my record, and I already had three or four before the possession of Xanax. And when I go to court that morning, the first thing that my attorney says to me, he says, Sherry, he said, um, I can only explain this as a, um, a miracle from God. He said, but um, when I walked into the courtroom this morning, he said, they are going to let you leave today. They're going to um, let you go to good landing straight from here. And he said, not only that, he said, but they have dropped your felony. You're going to walk out with only a misdemeanor. And... Um, and he didn't even ask for that. That's just the, the power of what God can do. And um, so I, um, that, was, that was when I came to Good Landing. And, um, and I, knew, I knew that this was the place for me because when I, my attorney had given me a choice between this place and another rehab, and I had prayed I, you know, that God would give me guidance, that he would um, give me some type of indication of which place he wanted me to be in because I thought it was important that it was important that I be where he wanted me to be and um, he gave me a clip of good landing um, just like the same clip that I got the day before I went to jail 
um, of Cobb County Jail, and, and I went to jail the next day, I got a clip of um, your conference room here at Good Landing. And, um, and, I, and I, knew, I knew then that that was him telling me that this is where I should be. And it's obviously exactly where I should have been because this is the first time that I have ever been sober for a year and a half without having to be sober, without being locked up, without being in prison. The longest I've ever been sober has been for two years, and that's because I was in prison, you know, between um, Georgia and Florida. And I'm now, uh, I've now, I've been sober for a year and a half, and, um, and that's only by the grace of God. It's only by the grace of God. That's incredible. That is an amazing story. You know, just as I said on the front end, to, to you know, to watch you do what you do today, knowing nothing is is holding you here. There's nothing, you know. I mean, you you've got you've got options. You have resources, and to uh, to stay here, and it it really reminds me so much of um, the front end of my story. And you know, when maybe somebody from the outside looking in, you know, it may not make a whole lot of sense to them, but it's. You know, but it's everything and, and, and keeping you in a place where it, it is an, an outlet for ministry where you've grown in the Lord um, and just solidifying it. And, and I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. I know that I don't say it enough to everybody that's on the front line that pours in day in and day out and makes this thing work. And, you know, really where the majority of the transformation takes place. I mean, we've got, you know, the stuff that happens, you know, here, the the groups and the one-on-ones, and they're, all of that is so important to the healing process. But I think about, you know, the, you know, the hours and hours and hours and hours, the Saturdays, the Sundays, the late nights and the talks and the processing, what they've learned and where that really gets lived out, you know, is in that setting, and all I ever hear about you is how amazing you are, how godly you are, and um, you know how valuable you are to the to the people's lives who come to Good Landing. So thank you. Well, I I thank you, Trey. I thank you for giving me the opportunity to pour into other lives and share my story, um, and share just what God has done for me. He's done so much for me. He's brought me out of um, just the deepest, darkest. Um, depression. Um, there was, um, there was one thing that I meant to share earlier that I didn't, and it's, I've never shared this with anybody, but I think it's important for people to hear this, to know exactly where drugs can take you. And, um, yeah, I've done a lot of horrible things, but, um, this was probably the worst. And I got so strung out on drugs at one time that I almost shot my father. And um, I actually had had got their pistol out. I pointed it at him. I fired it off in the house, and thank goodness it didn't hit him. I, I fired away from him, but, but I actually pointed the gun at my dad. I was so crazy. I was hearing voices. I thought, you know, again, things were going on that weren't going on. And... Um, I just, I just want people to know that drugs will take you to a place that you never, ever thought or dreamed that they would take you to. Like I, I said earlier, I was, was a homecoming queen. I, I have a college degree, um, a degree in microbiology. I never thought I would be sitting here 
telling someone that I almost shot my dad because I was so whacked out of my mind on drugs and that I was hearing voices and those voices would um, would just carry me, carry me to, to that level of where I could actually hurt someone that has done absolutely nothing but try to help me, but someone that's always been there for me, um, that has never given up on me, that has always prayed for me, that I could have taken his life. And I, it's by the grace of God that I did not um, and that I was not successful. And, um, and I, I want to share that because I just want people to realize the seriousness of what they're playing around with. It may not, ta- it may not take you the first few times that you use or even the, f- the first year into your addiction, but it will get you eventually. And I was in prison with a lot of women that will never, ever get out of prison because they took someone's lives. Um, they took... Uh, I was in prison with with women that had killed their children, with women that that had been successful in killing their father. And the first thing that they would would tell me and others was that they would give anything if they could take it back. They would give anything if they had not been high on drugs because nine times out of ten, drugs were all involved in those situations and they were not in their right mind. And I was one of those people who thought that, you know... um, that would never happen to me. I won't be that person. I could never take another life. I could never do those things. But drugs took me to a place that I never thought they would take me to. And I became a person that I never thought I would ever become. I was a monster. And just so just know that, um, that you, could, you could be that person that's sitting behind bars for the rest of your life. If if you continue to um, to use and think that it's not going to have consequences, it will turn you into someone you don't want to be. But I do want to say this, that God will be there to pick you up and turn you into the person that He wants you to be if you will just give Him the opportunity, if you will just lay, your th- just lay things down at His feet and surrender your will. He has a future for you. He has... He has a future for me that I never thought that um, that I would be able to step into based on my past, based on the felonies that I have. But he's able to use me. He's able to use my story. And um, he's given me the opportunity to pour into lives and to um, just to feel like um, there's, uh, there's beauty in, in my mess. Um, and I never thought that there, there could be. I never thought that... Um, that the mistakes that I made and um, just the ugliness that I created in my life could be turned around and used for His glory. I'm glad you said that. I mean, just to, to give some, some, some glimpse of, you know, the other side, because a lot of times, you know, it's a cliche, right? I mean, this thing only plays out in one of three ways, jails, institutions, and death. And, you know, and, and, and jail just doesn't, I mean, sometimes that really doesn't land. And especially if somebody's on the front end of it and, and to think, you know, that's why I wanted to get into homecoming queen and, uh, college educated with a degree in microbiology. You just don't, that just, you just don't connect that with, with any kind of drug, drug addiction, much less meth addiction that would take you all the way to prison to be there with, 
you know, society's worst, if I can, if I can say that. And, and, and they all have a story of how they ended up there too. And I know that there's precious people that are behind bars, but also to realize that whenever we use or we choose to continue to play with fire, that we actually forfeit our ability to be able to choose. And then Satan, the drugs, the demonic, whatever you want to call it, gets in that driver's seat. And all of a sudden you're sitting there and thinking, I cannot believe this. I cannot believe that killing my dad was a real option. I cannot believe that I'm sitting here with women who killed their own children, but yet this it is the how far down it will take you and so for everybody hearing this you know and, and and I know how it is I mean I remember whenever I was young and it's you know it's the older guy that's like better listen to me boy and you're just thinking okay man how about you let me have my fun and then you know before I get to you know wh- whatever disaster you've made of your life like that's not going to happen to me and in reality, those that, that of us that have been, you know, diagnosed with this disease on the front end, that that, that is how it will play out. If it goes unchecked, you know, whether it's uh, an overdose, you know, whether it is, you know, whatever it is, it's, it is going to be horrible. So I'm glad that you gave the details. Thank you again for your transparency. I know there's so much more in you. I know there's so much more ministry, so much depth in God. And today, you know, focusing and, and telling, you know, a part of your life that I know that, you know, that none of us are proud of. But the reality is it just shows, you know, the depth of God's grace and his amazing love and power to say, you know what, I'm going to redeem you and I'm going to do miracles in the courtroom and I'm going to put you at good landing and I'm going to use, you, you know, even even here. I mean, I'm watching stuff, you know, show up on, on Facebook of people that are in your house right now, you know, high level people, you know, that you're that you're teaching the, the ancient past to that lead to freedom. Grateful for you. Thank you, Trey. Guys, thank you so much for listening to our podcast. It is a privilege and an honor to be able to serve you. If you or someone in your family is struggling with addiction, please give us a call. It's 770-570-7422.